Hello everybody, Bradley here, and welcome into Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter, where today it is finally time to meet the Potions Master, Mr. Severus Snape, one of the greatest literary characters of all time. Before we hop in, though, and I want you to listen to this episode, it's fantastic, there is some adult content in all episodes of Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter, so... We recommend that you not listen to this podcast in front of your kids. Much like the Ministry of Magic enforces the underage wizardry rules, though, if you live in a wizarding family, it's kind of just up to your parents to enforce, and that's what we're asking you to do with this podcast. There's just a little bit of swearing in this one. I think it should be mostly fine, but wanted to give you the heads up anyway. There are also lots of spoilers. If you have not read all seven Harry Potter books and watched the movies and everything, just be aware you are treading on dangerous ground. If you do not want to be spoiled, this is not the podcast for you. Well, we try to focus on the chapter at hand, we frequently kind of delve into all kinds of Harry Potter stuff from all over the place, so just a warning that you may be spoiled if you decide to listen to this episode. Otherwise, I think that's it, that's all. Let's dive deep into Harry Potter. Chapter 8, The Potions Master. Harry and Ron begin taking their classes at Hogwarts. Some classes are more interesting than others. However, it's Snape's potions class that provides the fireworks this chapter. The Potions Master Severus Snape is a dick to Harry, seems completely uninterested in actually teaching students potions, and has a very strange system of apportioning blame for exploding potions. Reeling from the loss of two points for Gryffindor, which honestly is not that bad, all things considered, for the rest of this story, Harry and Ron head to Hagrid's hut to debrief and learn about the break-in egg Gringotts. Dun dun dun. Now, Rachel, we have a yes. new we have a new segment at the top of these episodes, and I just want you to know that this was one of the main things I was excited about when I started doing this podcast. Was I wanted to know a would Harry win Harry Potter? That's thing number one. But thing number two is how many times would a Hogwarts professor get fired or sacked if you're listening to this in the UK? In the story of Harry Potter, because it feels like a hundred times a book, I'm reading it, I'm going, that, if you did that, you should be fired. Like, Dumbledore is a terrible administrator of staff. Oh, yeah. I don't think the number's high enough for the amount of times that they should have been let go. (laughs) I think it's zero. I don't don't think anyone other than Trelawney gets technically sacked. By Dumbledore. No, no one. Dumbledore doesn't say. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, should a Hogwarts professor have been fired this chapter for you? Okay, I said no, uh, but I did have like a little side note. So I think everyone kind of did their job this chapter, but I do really think that Snape should go through like some sort of human resources course <laughs> on acceptable behavior towards children of people you knew. Because that's not, he's, he's not chill in this chapter, but he doesn't really break any rules, but he's kind of a dick. And it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's fireable, but uh, if Harry had parents, they'd be sending a strongly worded email into the principal. Right. That's exactly right. I put no as well. For all of the same reasons. I put in my notes, barely though, Snape is on thin ice. Uh, Mm. Severus Snape will be getting fired many times. For sure. I can think of a oh, few yeah. off the top of my head. So it's not like we he should have been fired at least a hundred times. However, I don't think this is one of them. I think this is, he is just a mean teacher. And this is the nineties is where I'm at with mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Where I think in the nineties, this was pretty standard for teachers. Like it was like, it was bad, but not fireable yet. We're going to yeah, get to a the- lot of, a lot of tough love. 
a lot of tough love, a lot of just being mean to eleven year olds. I think I think the mm. level at which like being mean to the students goes over the line is when he's making fun of Hermione's teeth later. We're gonna fire him yeah. for that. That's too far, oh, but yeah. I think this is it's just below the line. Although it'll be interesting to see how we deal with accumulative firings. Like if so if there's someone who has oh, yeah. like routine small infractions, at what point do we decide that they should yeah. have got at this point, Dumbledore, what are you doing? Yeah, like if this is strike one, how many strikes does there have to be? Right. All right. For alternate chapter, actually, before we do that, let us know. Emails, tweets, with Gmail, whatever you got. Who are you firing Severus Snape? This we want to know. This is fun for us to to get your feedback. So let us know. Uh, we have alternate titles to do. I chose the birthday break in for this one. I was not feeling at the tip top of my game this chapter. Coming up with a clever alternate chapter title. However, that just sounded kind of cool to me it's at the very end of the chapter they're talking about how uh, the break-in at Gringotts happened on the day of Harry's birthday and I just thought it sounded a little mysterious but I know full well that this was not my best performance I still like it I mean I think it's it is like a really important plot point and we get through almost the entire chapter and we're left only thinking about what happened at Gringotts like we're not overly concerned about the potions it's just oh what was in the package so I think it's a good title what what did you go with? What did you? I okay. I have the most love for Alan Rickman, and so I just chose one of the lines that he says straight from the book, which is just our new celebrity. But like that slow. There's a like after the word new. There's like at least ten dots. Yeah, you know I think I, I wrote mean? it in my notes. But he said he doesn't say it with like he only says it with ease. It's like our new celebrity. Yeah, it's, that's right. It's amazing. Yeah, no, Alan Rickman's line reading is is incredible. I think that's better. Yeah. I'm not. I don't know what the people are going to vote for. I think I think I'm voting for you on this one, uh, but we'll see. So far, we're pretty even. People seem okay. people seem interested. For people who give feedback every week, they seem really interested in you know making sure things are fair in the sense that <laughs> I feel like they just rotate back and forth. I get very few. I feel like people are like ah. I think Brad's chapter titles were cool for a little while. I'm going to pick Rachel's for three or four chapters or like vice versa. Because every individual person seems to be going roughly 50-50. I haven't added oh, them all I up yet. That. But it's an interesting... There's not one person who's just routinely... Which is good. Maybe, maybe mm. they're thinking about it more than I think about it when we do these. Well, there's there's no equity in the wizarding world. So maybe there should at least be equity in the voting. That's right. Maybe <laughs> maybe this can be the one place where where democracy works in the in the wizarding <laughs> world um i want to start this chapter i just kind of one of the things that i underutilize in our little notes page is like that overall topics to talk about and mm -hmm. one of the things i really wanted to talk about early on here was just our introduction our big introduction to severus snape who mm -hmm. is an immensely important character for the story but also, for me, one of my top three literary characters of all time, I think. I don't know. I haven't done this mm -hmm. ranking anywhere. But Severus Snape is just an absolute monster of a character. He's his own kind of archetype. It's, it's just mm -hmm. a fascinating... I just wanted to call out that like, being introduced to Snape is a big deal. And this chapter doesn't make it a big deal. But it is. Yeah, it like definitely it doesn't you don't feel kind of how important it is as it's happening, but when you go back and you read it again, you're like this is exactly what I would have wanted for Snape. 
but I think you're right. Like it, he is totally his own character, his own like archetype. I guess. I I get kind of really annoyed when people call Snape an antihero, because he's not. He's not a hero. He's also not a villain. He's just a very complex man with a variety of motivations that have led him to do both good and bad things. Yeah, that's and, exactly right. That, that's why he's my favorite literary character, or one of my top. Like, I, there's very few times I put a book down and go, all the characters in this book were better than Snape. Like, Snape is, he's, he's in that top three for me, across all yeah. books. Yeah, and you can feel the care with which he is written, because uh, I think JK knew the entire time that he was going to be so important. So you can see it kind of building as the books escalate. But, yeah, he has yeah. this he has this cool arc. Like it, it the arc from books like one to maybe even up to five to those occlumency lessons is kind of one kind of contained arc where Harry kind of just thinks he's terrible all the time and he's mm-hmm. mean to the children all the time. There's a lot more in there, but that's kinda it. And then once you get past there, that arc through to the end of book six is kind of another little separate chunk. And then the mm-hmm. the whole of book seven is like another it's a very interesting way. He kinda without really changing too much on the page from chapter to chapter, he kind of goes through three really different areas. I don't know. It's just fascinating the way he's written. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really in that one. Uh, we were trying to say this word before we started recording. Legilimency. During that one lesson where it accidentally like rebounds and Harry goes into Snape's memories. I think like that's when the switch happens and you start seeing Snape as, not just like an adult in power, but also as a person. It's even worse than own... that in the books. Harry, it's in the movie that it rebounds. It's in, in the books. He like, Snape has to leave to help Draco with something. I think Grand Montague gets stuck in the toilet. And then mm. Harry just like goes into his memories. Oh, then, that's rude. Yeah, it's way more rude. In the movies, it's kind of an accident. In the books, it's very intentional. And Dumbledore gets that awesome line in book seven, maybe, or book, or book six, where he's taking him into the pensive for Tom Riddle's memories, and he says something like, and we're going into the pensive, blah, 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 and more unusually, with permission. And it's one of my favorite kind of lines in the books. Anyways, that's where we should talk about this chapter. I just wanted to call out Snape, because this chapter is kind of our first big introduction, and he's awesome. Not as a person, but as a character. Yeah, and I, I wrote this in my notes, too. I don't know how these movies ever get remade into anything else, Without Alan Rickman. Like, I don't see how anyone else could be Snape as well as he was Snape. I frequently feel that way. Because I think I think most of the remakes are kind of nostalgia. Like, any, any kind of remake of anything, the nostalgia value mm-hmm. is kind of what people hang on to the most. However, mm-hmm. in shows like The Crown, every time the series ends The Crown, I go, there's no way they're going to find somebody to play that role as good as the last person who played that role. And every single time they recast it perfectly and everyone Mm. just kind of seamlessly takes over. Now it's obviously different because you're playing, you're not replaying the same character with the same story. You're kind of taking that character to the next part of their story. Mm -hmm. But in that way, in the sense that I always think that's going to be a problem. And then it usually never is when they do recast or things like that. Mm. I'd hope they do something kind of like what, um, Michael Gambon did when he took over for Dumbledore is just take it in a still 
true to character way, but that is entirely distinct from the way that Richard Harris chose to um, inhabit the character. So maybe something like that. But Alan Rickman is just such a good Snape, and I'm still unconvinced that I'd be able to see a different one. <laughs> That's fair. Let's let's start at the beginning of this chapter. There's a lot of fun things that happen on our way to Potions class that, that we can call out. I just want to call out the, the system of doors and stairs is crazy. Like, this makes no sense. We're, we're about to get oh, yeah. into a stretch of chapters here where we were talking about it before we started recording, where magic actually just makes things worse instead of better. Like, they have all of this... Oh, yeah. You could have magical doors. You could have, for instance, the Gryffindor common room door instinctively just magic to know who's a Gryffindor and who's not and never need a password. Mm -hmm. But instead, you take the magic and you have, you know, some doors that need to be tickled, some stairs that take you to different places on Tuesdays. Or like, I just, why, why, why? I don't understand. It makes no sense. Like, it's extremely cool. Like, when you read the description of it, you're like, oh, yeah, the stairs have a mind of their own. Some of the doors aren't doors. Some of the doors yell at you. Some have to be coddled. But imagine you sleep in one day and you've got to get to Transfiguration and this, like, piece of shit door won't open for you because it's not in the mood. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> you you're do? right. You're right. The effect when you're reading it is incredible. And it kind of mm. needs to be this way for the books to be interesting is you need to have these moments where, like, ooh, ah, magic. If they were just normal stairs, that's not fun. It's more fun if they're magic stairs. But what would magic stairs do that non-magic stairs? It's like they, they just do random shit. Like they just take you wherever, whenever. There's no order to it. It's not like there's like a bus schedule type of thing where you can kind of keep track of it all. And there's not like, I, I don't know where you're at, but where I'm at, you go to like the bus stop and you text mm -hmm. the number on the stop. It'll give you the full like schedule. So if there are wow. any differences on a Tuesday or a Sunday or whatever, it, it flags them for you but that's not what's going on here it's just the kids kind of just got to remember and they say there's hundreds of these staircases so i don't know yeah it's crazy it's so many and yeah some of them will just take you to forbidden extremely dangerous places whatever <laughs> yeah oh wait actually yeah that's that happens at the start of this chapter i put it in my notes the stairs just take them to the third floor and they're like oh this door is locked how weird and it wasn't in like until after they were trying to like shove open this door that they were like, oh, this is the death hallway. Right. Don't worry. Cause ne next chapter, it's going to be a simple Alohomora that gets them into it. <laughs> they couldn't, there's no other oh. defensive counter jinxes they could put on this door. Oh, so, don't get me started on that. Oh all right. Uh, we'll get to Alohomora <laughs> in, a, in a minute. Um, there's a fun little bit where they complain that McGonagall doesn't favor them, which is bonkers. <laughs> absolutely bonkers considering the quidditch bullshit that's about to happen next chapter which to be fair to the characters in this chapter has not happened yet they've been at yeah, hogwarts for yet. like two days and 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 to be fair to them it's all uh kind of hearsay that snape favors the slytherins they do say they're going to go and mm -hmm. find out so yeah however you can't make the assumption mcgonagall doesn't favor you on two days on the job you gotta let her you gotta let her She's less um, yeah. overt about it. You gotta let her settle in, and then she'll get her Gryffindor on. Yeah, give her some time. Give her some time. Right. There's also six other years of students that are there. Like they're not. How do you she like? Maybe she's favoring better. the Gryffindors that she already knows. Like she's got to meet you, mm -hmm. figure out what you're good at, like the flying, and then find a way to. I think. I think they're not giving her enough time here. Oh, I agree. McGonagall's a real one. <laughs> right and i think the other thing that happens here is the mail 
that I have in my nose. I think the male's just cool. That's an example of unlike mm-hmm. the stairs, something that's just cool, but also makes sense to me. Unless you had the male just like magically appear, which I that's less cool to me. This is a good pragmatic choice yeah. between the owl having the owls kind of fly in and just dump thousands of letters on the tables is hilarious <laughs> and cool. And it's a good pragmatic choice between not obviously not the best way to do it. But also cool to read as an 11-year-old. Yeah, I also like that Hedwig comes in, even if she doesn't have a letter. She just comes to visit Harry, and she's like, hey, you got some toast? I'd like some bread. Yeah. so precious. I love her. Yeah, you also have in your notes that they were trying to kick Mrs. Norris, which I didn't put in my notes, but that's not very nice. Yeah, 11-year-olds are pieces of shit. Even if, like, okay, she's a (laughs) smart cat. If she can, like... Figure out. Sorry, my dog is trying to protect me from the public hallway outside my apartment. Oh, I'm sorry if you can hear it. <laughs> yeah, Pip's yeah, cool, Mrs. Though. Norris like is. Yeah, he's a pretty good boy. Um, even though he's a Slytherin, I'll forgive him. Um, but like, she's Mrs. Norris is smart enough to, like, know what the rules are and notice who's breaking the rules, and then go tell her companion that someone is breaking the rules. That's a really smart cat. And these, like, stupid kids are just be like, yeah, let's kick the cat. Like, come on, dudes. <laughs> like, get it together. I think it, that does sum up the experience of being an 11-year-old, though. Yeah. And we're being perfectly fair to 11-year-olds. I think most of us. Yeah. I, I, I did not kick any cats. I can confirm that. But I was probably, in the, the, the smallest bit of self-reflection, probably a pretty shitty 11-year-old as well. Yeah, I don't know that there are too many good 11-year-olds. No, I have a take that I tell people at work all the time. So the teen, I guess 11's not a teenager, but like teenagers are just the worst people. All of them. Mm-hmm. They're all teenagers Luckily. are at least some level of terrible. I've never met a teenager and hung out with them for like a couple months at work. And like the whole experience was pleasant. There's always something <laughs> that just, I don't know what yeah. it is. There's always something. Oh, yeah. But I also... Okay, I should also just say I was a terrible teenager, so that's my experience in that. But I just also want to go back and talk about how funny it is that Quirrell said he got his zombie, sorry, his turban for getting rid of a zombie. Right, yeah, you put a bunch of notes about possibly that zombie's still on your face, you idiot. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, oh, and then Seamus is like, how'd you get rid of the zombie? And Quirrell's like, I'd rather not say. I like the bit about that with the garlic because it kind of Mm. like the garlic and the vampire bit. It obviously doesn't make a lot of sense because there's no vampire in this bit of the story. Um, But I like that she's pulling in some, we're kind of on a third level here because she's pulling in like muggle lore about vampires from the real world into the story and kind of attributing it to the way. I just think that's a cool little, kind of yeah. magical leap there to take to take like a mythical muggle real world thing and just not change it and throw it in is kind of like a pseudo magical thing i just like that little it's a good way to anchor her story into a world that we already know so it's like little small details like that that had a bunch of kids my age waiting for their hogwarts letter it's like maybe there's a chance maybe there are teachers and vampires <laughs> that i can yeah, go hang is. out with because we are like after this, I think as eleven year olds, after the flying lesson next chapter, we all should have not wanted that letter. I would have died. I would have absolutely been killed mm-hmm. by something. 
Oh yeah, yeah. They would have said like, "Don't go into the forbidden forest." I'm like, "Oh, so do." Second day, like, <laughs> right. don't push. Ran the big over red by Sentinel. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately also, pushes the big red button. This is just a thought that's occurring to me now, and I don't know if this is going to be like a hot take, but I cook with a lot of garlic, like all the time. Oh, okay. I really like the smell of garlic. It's delicious. So now looking back, when I see people complaining about like these really strong smells of garlic, I'm like, do you just eat flavorless food? Why is this I, I, so I think... unpleasant to you? All right, I'll, I'll take a slightly cooler take. I really like garlic. Okay. I cook with a lot of garlic. Garlic's fantastic. Kind of the overtly strong smell of garlic permanently. It, like, like I, I think mm. our, I think human brains, human brains. I, I talked about it a few months ago. Like expectation violations. Human brains oh, have yeah. expectations. I, I, in that case, it was about going on a Tinder date, which was funny. But this works <laughs> with garlic too. Um, if you're in a kitchen and you're cooking and you're kind of making food or receiving food and you smell a lot of garlic. It's a good thing. Your brain is like, ooh, yummy food. I like that. It's expected. If I go into your fucking classroom and everything smells like garlic, it's kind of like, ugh, garlic. Why is that? Like, it doesn't quite live up to the expectation your brain has for garlic. And I can understand. Like, if I walked into my teacher's classroom and it smelled heavily of garlic or they smelled like garlic, that raises that raises more. It starts more fires than it puts out for me. Whereas if I'm in a kitchen and you're cooking food and things smell like garlic, it's awesome. Wait, that's fair. That's. Fair. I don't know if that made any sense. No, no, it did. It's all about context. Yeah, context is a better word for expectation violation. <laughs> well, I, think, <laughs> well, I, I think expectation violation. I was in that street when you talked about that. And oh, were you? Yeah. Of, oh, yeah. It's a very succinct way of saying like, if you do something that's super weird, people aren't going to like it. Right. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly what it is. Applies to garlic, <laughs> applies to Tinder dates. You can take that and apply it to anything if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, we we yeah. get a cool rundown here of all the classes. Because we're going to the potions class and we need to spend a lot of time there. Uh, I found this rundown of all the classes pretty pretty expertly done. It's it's a lot of exposition. We gotta get through all the experiences they're they're having. Um the best part though was the bit about Professor Bins. <laughs> he just woke up to go to <laughs> class and he just was a ghost. Like he, yeah, he's you just. Gotta love the dedication to the craft. Yeah, because <laughs> later, later after Sirius dies, they have that talk where their Harry has a talk with Nearly Headless Nick, I believe, about mm -hmm. how you get to like choose, and he like it's a choice, and he was scared of death and whatever. I think I don't think Mister Bins got to choose. I think I think he just woke up and was a ghost. I don't know how did he. I mean, he might have accidentally like pressed start and skipped the selection screen. I don't know how that went. Yeah. Like, maybe he, he, like, hadn't realized what had happened, so instead of actively choosing to become a ghost, he was like, well, I have to keep teaching. And maybe that was his choice. And he just kind of, his whole ghosthood got brought along for the ride. Yeah, there's also so many ethical questions about Professor Vince, too. Like, do, do you still need to pay him? What does he do with the money? He can float around, and he doesn't, like... Like, he can't eat food, oh. and he can't, like, what are the ethical complications? Like, the HR-related ones. We, and we all know want? Hogwarts cares deeply about HR. And rules. And, and rules. Safety. <laughs> and safety. <laughs> <laughs> right? So we know that Dumbledore's really thought this through. But I'm just curious, like, what are the ethical HR complications with having a ghost as a teacher? And, like, I imagine if he did get paid, it would go to his estate with, like, presumably he had children... But I wonder, like, how shitty would it be 
if your father died and then instead of and he became a ghost because he wasn't ready to like cease existing in this world instead of spending time with you he just kept working yeah i guess it depends where you live like if that was happening in vancouver like i might be able to afford an apartment and that'd be cool Mm, you know yeah, what i mean if, like i'd be a little less income coming from i'd be My a little dad. less upset about that if i had a ghost parent like working for what i'm assuming is like a nice middle class paycheck at hogwarts and that mm, was just mm. being deposited into my bank account because they have no need for the money. Oh, yeah. And there's, like, no even... Can you call them living expenses? If you're right. <laughs> if you're dead? If you're dead, are there any... That's what I mean. There's no... That's exactly what I'm there trying to no say. There's food. no, there's you no don't living expenses. stay anywhere. <laughs> right. You just float around. You can't eat anything. I don't know what... I don't know. Also, oh, we should also think a little bit about how efficient that salary is, because that this is kind of how mm. I do my math when I do like budgeting for my salary, because I live where I work and like food is included and stuff. The amount of mm. money a year I don't spend on groceries mm. is insanity, right? It's thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm just yeah, not spending expensive. on fuel and groceries because I just live where I work when I'm up there. Mm -hmm. Right. So like whatever my salary is, I can just lop a couple thousand on top of it for things I'm not paying for. That mm -hmm. if you paid me more money and I would have to pay for that, I don't know. Like, not only is like your salary is way more efficient at Hogwarts than it is if you're having a shop in Diagon Alley, for instance. True. So you could just take all of the money that you're earning with no um, living expenses and you could just plop it all in Gringotts Wood where it will sit completely stagnant, earning no interest. <laughs> right. Or you can invest it all. What do we say in Nimbus? I asked in, in the Nimbus. Facebook group, I asked in the Facebook group for more stocks. That mm -hmm. could be on the the wizard the, the WSX or whatever the Wizarding Stock Exchange the Facebook group the Wizarding Stock Exchange podcasting Bradley what could you be talking about hello everybody editing Bradley here just to let you know that we have a Facebook page that you can come and hang out in and get your fill of all kinds of pop culture stuff we talk about Harry Potter we talk about Bridgerton we talk about all the deep dives that we do Hamilton all of it we also talk about whatever you want to post in there we try and keep it pop culture keep it fun keep it positive keep the the good vibes flowing but that Facebook group is for you down there in the show notes. There's also a Patreon, which is kind of like a value for value exchange. We got bonus content. We got early access to episodes. We got a show notes over there. So if you want to throw a galleon or two our way every month and get some exclusive kind of bonus extra content over there, that is also something you can find in the show notes below. Now we can get back to talking about this wizard stock exchange for the 150th time. When will this idiot let the stock exchange go? He doesn't need to bring it up every episode. Um, oh, there was one really good answer. There was one really funny one that I can't remember. I said that I would buy stocks in flu powder. Like whoever makes flu oh, powder, that seems pretty that would consistent. Be smart. Right. That seems I, like a pretty necessary. I wonder if you'd try to convince Ollivander to franchise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, surely, like the fact, like, yeah, surely that's a good idea. The market's not that big, I guess, unless people actually break their wands more often than we're given to understand. Right. Right. All right. We went off on an awesome tangent. <laughs> yeah, there, we're, we're, tangent. we're in potions <laughs> class now and Snape is a dick. Um, I just want to shout out how awesome this introduction to potions is. Uh, mm -hmm. Snape will pretty clearly almost immediately have no interest in really actually teaching these kids how mm -hmm. to do potions or make potions, or kind of care about them at all in any way. However, he is the mm -hmm. best teacher at introducing his subject. 
Like you are oh. here to learn the subtle science and exact art of potion making. As there is little foolish wand waving here, many of you will hardly believe this is magic. I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human. I'm just this is like three paragraphs, mm-hmm. but it kind of sounds like a dance. He makes oh, it. He makes written. it sound like your paint. Your yeah. He makes it. I don't know how to describe it. That is the best introduction to a class ever. Yeah. Like, please, please let me know. If I hope I'm not the only person who does this, but when in the movies he gets to the part where he says, "I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death," I say that with him every single time. It's one of my favorite lines. It's so dramatic, but he's also not wrong. I love it so much. Yeah, he he's a little bit unelegant at the end when he calls the kids dunderheads. <laughs> But also not wrong. <laughs> also not wrong. Absolutely not wrong. Neville, Neville has proved himself to be absolutely incompetent. Such a dunderhead. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I've used the phrase dunderhead a few times in the real world after reading it in Harry Potter, and it, it gets a good laugh every time. Yeah. I wonder, like it's, it's, I wonder how many less dunderheads there'd be, though, if he actually taught the kids potions. Like, instead of just, like, yelling at mm. Harry for Neville's potion mistake, if he just, like, sat down with Neville and be like, hey, it's all good, man. Next time, read the instructions in the right order. Yeah, probably a fair few. Be less dunderheads. And, like, I imagine, like, if, okay, because Snape knows exactly what went wrong with Neville's potion. He knows exactly how to clean it up, exactly how to help Neville, exactly how to, he, he knows exactly where in the recipe they messed up. So why wasn't he watching for it? That seems like an extremely dangerous mistake. Yeah. It's it's not good. It's not good teaching. Uh, I like mm. this bit with Hermione where she puts her hand up twice and then stands oh. up for the third question. Like she can't contain that she knows the answer and Snape's not calling her. It's a very small but very fun character moment for her that really tracks with her, but in more of a funny way before she gets kind of annoying. Or at least annoying I, in the perspective of Harry and Ron. Whether we find her annoying is kind of separate. I find her so relatable in this scene, though. I have been Hermione in this situation before. It was like grade four French class. And <laughs> it was something, it was something super simple. Like, can you at least just like say the date in French? And I was like, this is the one thing I know. And I really wanted to say it. And she asked like three, my, my teacher asked like three of my classmates who all got it wrong. And then eventually I just yelled the answer and she sent me out. <laughs> and she's like don't speak out of Sit turn in the hallway and i was like losing my mind i was like do you want to embarrass children or do you want the right answer because i have the right answer for you but apparently that's not an acceptable attitude in a nine-year-old so i was sent into the hallway did you ever i might put you on the spot or on like mm-hmm. someone's terrible person list here did you ever remind the teacher that they were meant to give out homework when they've forgotten No, I think I probably would have reminded the teacher that they hadn't handed back homework that they had marked. Ah, okay, that's way better. Yeah, I don't like wait. Like, I find it ex- extremely stressful to like wait for results. That's why online quizzes are so satisfying because you can find out how you did immediately. But if they're like, oh yeah, I graded your assignments and then the bell rings and they don't hand them out, I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> I must know. <laughs> 
Fair enough. That is way better. That is no one like no one liked that kid that was like, actually, you forgot to give out our homework for tonight. It's like, shut up, Chris. Like, stop it, Chris. <laughs> Damn it, Chris. I was trying to. I, you know, I usually go with Karen. I was trying to pick a different name. He's like, I've got soccer practice today, Chris. <laughs> right. I can't do this. I got guitar lessons, man. I can't do this homework. Fuck you. Um, I want to talk a little bit, actually, before I should, I shouldn't have jumped the gun on Hermione here. The situation Hermione is dealing with here is that Snape keeps asking Harry all of these questions about potions, knowing full well that Harry doesn't know the answer, which is not good teaching. And it's, there's, at this point in the book, we don't know there's something else going on, right? There's Mm -hmm. a specific reason he kind of specifically dislikes Harry, um, but either way, this is just ridiculous behavior. But also, it's kind of cool, though, because if you Google the ingredients, there's something to do with lilies and stuff in there. I don't want to pretend like I actually know. But if you Google, like, the ingredients that he was asking Harry about, there's a lot of cool kind of potions in reference to lilies and stuff that, that comes up that kind of gives away the the game if you're paying attention, which is interesting. I also like that the extremely quick introduction to the Bezor. Just like the one thing that Harry learned from Snape, which was actually useful down the road. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 that's right. I've forgotten about that. That's not to book six. That's a sleeper, the Bezor. Yeah. It just kind of sits there for five books and then bam. Yeah, I, I always thought the Bezor was really cool until I actually Googled what it was. It's super gross. Oh, absolutely disgusting. But also <laughs> like almost like overpowered. Compared to, I'm assuming, how much effort it is to poison people in this world. Can you imagine you're, like, slaving over this draught of living death, and then some piece of shit just comes with, like, whatever, goat stomach, and just <laughs> all your work? <laughs> right. I think to even it up, Bezoars must be really rare. Also, why even try to poison anybody? That's rude, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just, yeah. I, I find the Bizarre to be a little overpowered. Like, if I was a murderer in this world... It kind of just takes poisoning off the board. Limits your mm-hmm. options a little bit. Yeah, I, I feel like there are a lot of like really easy ways to like kill someone with magic without resorting to poisoning. Seems a little barbaric. Right, it, yeah, that's a good point. It is convenient that the killing curse is just insta-death. It's just 100% mm-hmm. success guaranteed. The only thing is, like, are you willing to use it? 99.9%. Right, yeah, that's right. If you if you forget, you got to be up to date on your kind of sacrificial magic. But as yeah. long as you're up to date on your readings about that. Yeah, we round up in this podcast. Right, yeah, that's right. We we I didn't do the math. It's 99 point just Harry. Whatever that math is. Everyone minus Harry, whatever 0.999 mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neville sucks at potions. Snape decides to blame Harry for Neville sucking at potions. This is the first class. Like I don't understand. I don't understand this. Like it's clearly just because he hates Harry in retrospect. But at the time when you're reading this and you don't know that, you have to think he's actually crazy. This is the dumbest way to yeah. apportion blame in the history of ever. Oh yeah, no, it makes no sense. I think it's just to solidify that like Snape really doesn't like Harry. Yeah. But Harry also did give him like that bit of attitude earlier. Harry just doesn't know when to like not say something. So he's like, you should probably ask Hermione because I don't know. And that's obnoxious. So if I were a teacher, I'd probably be like, I'm going to blame you for shit. <laughs> <laughs> he also lost two points for Gryffindor, which 
I know we're going to spend a lot of time dunking on how awful this house point system is. This is not bad. I don't understand the economy of house points. Minus two points. I don't think we ever get this low again. I think every no. single thing above, after this is above two points. It only ever scales up. And it was two points for two individual one point things. Yeah. So it's two points total, but the individual events were minus one point each. I don't think that ever happens again. Also, like, okay, so one point for being rude to a teacher, that I kind of get, you shouldn't be rude to teachers. But what Snape is implying that Harry has done in the second instance is manipulate Ron, uh, not Ron, Neville, into messing up his potion, ruining his cauldron, giving himself, like, boils all over his arm just for, like, a bit of a reputation bump. That's a pretty, like... <laughs> but nefarious... he's already the most famous kid on the planet. That's also, that's, like, such a nefarious thing to do. And if that is actually what Harry did, it would be deserving of way more than one point. It's right. just such a, it's such a wild jump. I hadn't done the math on, like, that whole situation <laughs> and strung it out to its kind of logical conclusion at the end, but you're right. I think, if Harry, so I think if Harry was going to do that, he wouldn't even be in Gryffindor. I think that's a Slytherin thing. No, that's a Slytherin. That's, a, that's something that Malfoy would do. That's exactly He's right. He's checking on Malfoy in this class. Right. Oh, Malfoy apparently made a good potion or something. There was a little line in there somewhere where it's like, Snape seemed to really like Malfoy. That's because they both have greasy hair. Aha, get some shampoo, <laughs> Malfoy, you idiot. Rich get owned. <laughs> oh, you have in your notes something about someone getting owned, and it's, oh, I forget where it is. But it was so oh, funny. Find we'll, find, we'll find it when we get there. All right, after potions class, we go to Hagrid's cabin. And I like I like this moment from Hagrid. Inviting the guy. Like, I, It's hard to really figure out kind of the ethics here at school, because just where I work with kids... You have to, at all times, be extraordinarily kind of evenly fair with them all. So you can't be mm -hmm. having coffee with some of them and not others. You know what I mean? But I think in this situation, yeah. it was just for me reading this as an adult who works with man, thousands of kids per year and has so many different rules you have to follow when working with kids. This scene kind of in retrospect kind of throws me off a little bit because you just wouldn't want to be doing this in 2022. However, mm -hmm. however, benefit of the doubt. Hagrid's a good guy, right? And I think within this yeah. school, with the house system and everything, you're allowed to have kind of slightly preferred students, and he's kind of just checking in with them. I think later when we get to, like, the Grop stuff, it crosses the line a little bit for me and, like, yeah. the student-teacher relationship. But this yeah. seems fine, and this is a nice thing to do from Hagrid. Yeah, and Hagrid's really... It's, yeah, I think absent, like, today's context where you wouldn't want to be alone in a room with a child, Hagrid is Harry's first friend. First connection to the wizarding world, first person who was like truly kind to him. So it's I think it's nice that Hagrid takes that as a responsibility. And then also beyond that, he kind of enjoys Harry's company and would like to see him again. So I think that's just nice that Harry has, you know, an adult figure who appreciates his company because he hasn't had a lot of that. I also think it's nice for Hagrid that he has kind of students that like, want to be friendly towards him. I get the sense that mostly yeah. everyone else is either indifferent or just rude to him. <laughs> yeah, because you get, like, that little bit that Malfoy says about him, which I, I can't remember what it was, but it's just basically, like, he's a monster who lives off the grounds, and he's kind of an oaf. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of the prevailing thought about Hagrid on the grounds. 
because like Filch is like extremely looked down on for being a squib. Hagrid never graduated from Hogwarts, so I would imagine that either of them are held in particularly high regard. So it might just be nice for Hagrid also to have a friend, a human friend at least, because he's got Fang. Yeah, I like the point. My, I really like the point of the bits of writing where, as an adult, they're kind of just whatever. But when you're reading this through the lens of like she's trying to write eleven-year-old characters as an adult, like that's much mm-hmm. harder. It's like put yourself in the shoes of an eleven-year-old to tell a story, but then make that story interesting, mm-hmm. right? Like that's difficult to do. And the little bit where he calls Filch a git and Harry has this like internal monologue of like, yeah, he is a git. Like that was just pure <laughs> eleven. Like it was like the quintessential eleven-year-old to me. And I just love that oh, line yeah. so much because it's funny to reread, but also that's just exquisite writing 11-year-old characters. And that's hard to do. Oh, yeah. And it's so relatable. Like when you were a kid and you heard an adult say an opinion you agreed with, with an expletive you weren't allowed to say, you were like, oh, yeah, that. I can't say it, but I agree with you. <laughs> right. I didn't even thought about it from that perspective. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like that first moment where you have an opinion, and then like an adult that you like agrees with you, and like, yeah, you're a pretty smart kid. Yeah. Oh heck yeah. Oh heck yeah. Can't say hell yeah because you're 11. (laughs) Right, or if you're Canadian, you never just oh heck yeah, bud. It's always heck yeah. Yeah, for those for those of you who don't live in Canada, we never graduate from heck yeah. We just add like oh and bud to the beginning and end. Yeah, we're just going for a rip. Going for going for a rip. (laughs) That's exactly right. Um. I think, I, I don't know what else to say about this Hagrid cabin bit. Uh, we obviously get the big reveal at the end that I want to kind of talk about. But do you have anything mm-hmm. else for the Hagrid kind of interaction section of this? Uh, I would just really like to know more about the rock cakes. Why are they called rock cakes? Were they meant to be that stale? Are they stale? Are there rocks in them? Are there rocks in them? My, <laughs> my interpretation of it was like kind of like those old style kind of loaves of bread before the modern kind of rectangular ones we have now. My thought is mm. it's more like those old kind of circular kind of loaves of bread and that it, like, there's just a burned loaf of bread that okay. some animal or another could eat and they called it a rock cake. Maybe that's not I the like- exact thing, but that's kind of the idea I was working with in my head on what it might look like. I'm, and, like, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this wrong, but, like, what's that, like, fancy bread that's, like, really hard that you dip in tea? Is it biscotti? Ooh. Yeah, but, that's the one. Yeah. Like, some some of those, like, pastries are meant to be, like, dipped in tea, so it softens them so you're able to eat them. Or if that's not how biscotti is supposed to be eaten, I'm incredibly sorry. <laughs> I don't think. I, I, I pronounce it biscotti as well. I do have this vivid... Thing from somewhere i can't remember where but i do remember some italian person in my life being really mad that it's pronounced like we'd say biscotti it's more of like a biscotti or something like that you know what i mean with like the hand movements and whatever <laughs> you gotta say it with feeling you gotta say it with feeling that's right but i, I don't... yeah like maybe you're supposed to like dip the rock cakes in tea so that you soak them and they become a little more palatable I just want to know, why wasn't it explained? Tell me more about the rock cakes. You also have a big hello. I forgot to mention Fang, but you didn't. Yeah, I love Fang. I love a good dog in a story. I was going to say, you can tell which Uh, one of us is the dog owner based on our notes. (laughs) And Fang is such a good boy. He's just so happy to make friends. And he's like vaguely responsible. 
Right, until he his job in the forbidden scary forest later is to like protect everyone and he's just scared out of his brains. I choose to believe that he was saying the most responsible course of action here is to leave. So why don't we all run away? Oh, the the, the feigned the feigned fear as an yeah. attempt to okay. So Fang yeah, is actually like double he's reverse psychologying the people in the Boy, forest. Genius. Ah that makes more sense. That makes a lot okay. more sense. That's my headcanon now, is that Fang is yeah. actually like a double agent level <laughs> of intelligence where he's tricking them. Okay. I get yeah. that. <laughs> well, I think that about my dog, too. It's like every time Pip does something that's like vaguely, it could be clever, I choose to believe the more clever interpretation of it. Right. Okay. Instead of just like, maybe it's an accident. Maybe he's stupid. No, he's the smartest boy that ever lived. Right. So this podcast is pro. So if you're listening to this, we're kind of <laughs> recommending that anytime a dog in your life does anything that could be clever, your recommendation is to assume that it was clever. Absolutely. Okay. 100%. Cool. <laughs> um, I think, I think that's it for everything but the big reveal at the end. We get the reveal at the end of this chapter that dun 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 surprise there's been a break-in at Gringotts oh no how could that have happened I remember two chapters ago or three chapters whatever don't email me about the chapter camp uh at the very beginning there was that whole like poem that I read out about how you could not break into Gringotts Rachel how could this have happened man no, they said it was impossible. There was a, you were right. There was a really scary warning. They said you'd probably die. But look, <laughs> the same day. <laughs> same day. The very same day. Ugh. Crazy. I wonder it, if this is going to lead to Hagrid getting catfished for a dragon's egg later. There's no way to know. <laughs> so I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the break-in at Gringotts, in retrospect... A little bit heavily foreshadowed by just how much time in Gringotts we spent harping on how unbreakable or how unbreakable mm. this place was. If you're reading mm. this as an adult, you're kind of like, oh, okay, we're definitely, it's kind of like Chekhov's bank. Like, if yeah. we're mentioning how, un, like, how protected this bank is, we know it's getting broken into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't know anymore at this point. Bank's been broken into. Harry kind of figures out that it's the package that they took out, which is clever. He's kind of putting the pieces mm -hmm. together. Uh, we all know that this problem of Voldemort on Quirrell's head could only be solved by 11-year-olds. And so I'm glad the 11-year-olds oh, yeah. picked for this mission are on it. Because Harry seems to be <laughs> cluing the pieces together pretty good here. He's got the strings and the tacks on the corkboard kind of putting everything together. Yeah, I wonder, is it like, maybe this is well known and I'm just kind of forgetting it until now. But are we supposed to, knowing what we know now, figure out that Quirrell was the one who broke into Gringotts? I don't think so. I think we're just meant at this point to just wonder. Because I, yeah, what I like about these books is they're not mystery novels. Like, you're not meant to have all the clues, right? Mm -hmm. This will be, be, like, it's one of the complaints some people have about book four. It's because there's no way for you to figure out that Moody's Barty Crouch Jr. Because you've just been told over and over again he's dead. And you yeah. have no way of knowing... Like, it's not like a, there's no aha moment where you could go back and figure it out. Mm -hmm. But it's not a mystery novel. Like, this isn't an Agatha Christie book or, like, the movie Knives Out where you're meant to be able to do that. That's true. You're kind of just getting the information that the characters have. Like, the characters 
and Gringotts themselves believe that this place is impossible to break into. So they write their songs and their poems and they tell us the audience that, but it's clearly just proves to be not true. But we weren't getting mm-hmm. that. We were just getting that information from characters who are biased, right? Like That's true. Yeah, I don't think it's meant to be a mystery novel where we get all the info and are able to f- It's more satisfying when you can. But I mean, you mm-hmm. you could piece some things together like okay, we on our way to Gringotts, Quarrel was there in in the leaky cauldron like he was around mm-hmm. he's a suspect potentially yeah it, like it could have also been the malfoys because we know that draco was uh alone in madame malkin's yeah it could have been uh oh what's his the the guy that's described as a toothless walnut the dude who runs tom with, tom <laughs> maybe it was tom he was around or tom tom no tom is busy he's a business owner <laughs> yeah, yeah he's <laughs> He's busy getting pints for the wizards. He's not busy. busy being a toothless walnut. Doesn't have time to rob Gringotts. He'd be unsuspecting though. He'd be the person I'd send in as like if I wanted someone to like make it through security easily. Because you just look at him and go, yeah, he's not gonna rob a vault. Mm. I also I have this this weird like gripe with the fact that the vault number is seven thirteen. I just uh, really feel like it should be seven thirty-one. Well, because, I, I'm not kidding because that. it happened on it happened on July thirty-first. Oh, so it's oh, that makes sense. And I'm trying to figure out if there's any other significance to seven thirteen other than being a combination of lucky and unlucky numbers. That's what my guess was. I was just gonna say. I think those are numbers that have kind of connotations. Hmm. But I feel like it would have just been more satisfying for me if it was 731 because then it would have matched up. But that's a oddly specific gripe of mine, so no one needs to agree with that. <laughs> I think we have bigger fish to fry in the flying lessons next chapter about yeah. <laughs> the way the, way the wor- wizarding world is constructed that JK's use of oh, yeah. the number 713 can kind of just slip yeah. under the radar. Yeah, and buckle we'll be... in for that one because the kids won't. <laughs> <laughs> there are no seatbelts on these broomsticks. All right. Uh, do you have anything else for this chapter? I like these chapters because they're just kind of quick. They're fun. They're fun to read in retrospect. You get a little bit of, of kind of important context for the rest of the story, but mostly you can just meme about mm-hmm. them. Yeah. I really like if there, I would have really liked rather if there had been like a introduction to the Wizarding World 101 for first year Muggleborns. I think that would have been just like a nice, thoughtful thing to do. But apparently nice and thoughtful isn't something that happens very often at Hogwarts. Right. My only kind of kind of extra thing for this chapter is I just wonder, I get it because it's a magical wizarding world, but like mm-hmm. the, the wizarding world doesn't change a lot of the normal things that kind of all humans, magical or not, need to, to work out. Like, I know they have arithmancy, but I just... There's no, like, wizarding English class. Like, whatever English level you have at 11 years old, and whatever yeah. kind of you naturally pick up through your next six years at school, but, like, there's no... You'd think some of the muggle classes should translate over, and they would also have those, but they don't. And that's always yeah. been weird to me. And you're, tell- you're telling me there's no Latin 101? <laughs> right, there's no like Latin! That might be important. <laughs> That would be very important. Like, come on. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's because only... everyone would go with like inventing spells and shit if they all knew Latin. Mm, maybe they make that barrier to entry. Is that like you have to be <laughs> someone who like downloads Wizard Duolingo? Oh before yeah. Before you can create spells. 
that yeah that would it, maybe it should be like a six or seventh year class <laughs> it right. should just give all the power to the children right because they have muggle i mean we never go to this class and we only ever hear about the professor in book seven when she gets mm-hmm. murdered by a snake but um yep. uh they have like uh the what is it called what is that class called the history uh, of Mugg- muggle studies muggle studies the history of muggles whatever so they like have a class about muggles but don't have any classes about like the normal things that would translate over really well i guess arithmancy is kind of like wizard math but it, but then later like later in book four freaking um one of the weasleys i can't remember which one arthur maybe struggles counting muggle money when it's just normal numbers like come on we need some muggle classes here to go in it, with the wizarding classes. You're telling me there's a hundred cents in a dollar? That doesn't make any sense. There should be 17. I think I think the situation's even worse than that. I think they're just asking for like $20. And oh, Arthur's no. like looking at all his money, unable to identify how much equals 20. <laughs> when it, when so, they have to divide by like 27. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to call it, I think they need normal mm-hmm. classes as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, as especially well as wizarding classes. There's no indication that there's any like wizard preschool before they get to Hogwarts. So this is conceivably their first educational experience. These yeah, are just, like, actually, <laughs> all of the people coming in from the muggle world would have a huge advantage because they've done four years, mm-hmm. five years of school already. You're, yeah, in, grade, you're in grade like it's, 11 sounds young. That's grade six. Mm hmm. Right, and which these is kids like have to write essays. Imagine never having gone to school before and being told to write an essay. Right. Yeah. So if you're a <laughs> Muggle kid, you've gone through kindergarten, hypothetically, kindergarten and five years of schooling before you get to Hogwarts. Yeah. So you can string together a couple sentences. Right. You learn like, what a paragraph is. Yeah, but if, if you're like Ron and you've just been like kind of running around flying brooms just being a silly goose and you get there and they're like, Oh yeah. Write several paragraphs. He's like, I never learned how to read. Right. Yeah. I had never thought about that. The system is so fucked up. <laughs> Nothing makes <laughs> Magic does not make things better. It makes things so much worse. All right. Who, who are your chapter winners? Okay. For this one, I had to give it to Ron. I really liked Ron in this chapter. Um, in almost every instance that Harry needed backup, Ron was there. You know, he stuck by Harry when he was getting all like the attention for just for being himself. He was kind of subtly guiding Harry through potions class, trying to make sure he didn't get in more trouble. And then he sees Hagrid's invitation and he's like, you know what? That's your friend. He's going to be my friend too, because we're pals. And he just always, he always has Harry's back. And it's really nice to see that, uh, what was the unnecessarily fancy word I used here? The nice burgeoning friendship. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's spelled correct. Burgeoning. It's spelled correctly, too. <laughs> That's a weird word to spell. Well, yeah, because I went to muggle school. <laughs> right, yeah, we, we, we took English class. Um, I went with Hagrid this chapter. I think Ron's a great pick. Mm. I went with Hagrid. I'm having a hard time, and there's no rules for picking these winners. For those of you listening, there's when you're picking your winners and sending them to us, or there's no rules. You can any any rules you make for yourself are totally fine. However, I'm struggling a little bit in keeping my winners isolated to just the chapter at hand, and not mm. taking into account things I either know are going to happen or like, you know what I mean? Like I'm 
struggling with yeah, that a little bit. Yeah, it's hard to keep it isolated. Right. So I'm kind of choosing my chapter winners kind of based on a little, like slightly more than just this chapter. I'm going to give it to Hagrid. I think what he did for Harry specifically was really nice here, although a little bit mm-hmm. kind of weird in 2022. But I think within the wizarding world structure, this is all totally fine. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of reaching out and checking in and, and knowing that Harry's going to struggle and maybe, maybe he doesn't know that he's made a friend in Ron. Maybe he's not fitting mm-hmm. in. Maybe he's having a hard time. He knows how hard his life has already been. So I, I really like that from Hagrid. And this is the part where I just kind of know he's about to get catfished into giving up the game with Fluffy later. <laughs> I kind of want to give him a win before that happens. Because if we had yeah. chapter losers, Hagrid's definitely losing two or three chapters later on. Oh, good old Hag- Rubius. I shouldn't have told you that, Hagrid. Right. Yeah, there's oh, there's one scene later in one of the books where he straight up isn't telling them. It's when he went to the Giants and he comes back in book five. And then Harry mm-hmm. is like, I'll tell you about my trial if you tell me about it. And he's like, yeah, no worries. It's like, come on, Hagrid, mate. <laughs> These are secrets, dude. You can't, you can't crumble this easily, my guy. I mean, like, he, he gave away the first task just because he wanted to go on a date. Like... <laughs> right, that's right. He's he's the games keeper, not a secret keeper. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that is keeper. true. Crap. It's not in the title. Um yeah. for the the kind of person place thing concept or play not person, that's the first one. Anyways, y'all listening know what I mean. For the other chapter winner, I went with mystery for this one. It's very lame. I like the chapter title. I didn't think too hard on this one. But there's just a lot of mystery. We're, we're kicking up a lot of the questions we need to have for the rest of this book. Why doesn't Snape like Harry? What happened with the break-in? All of these kind of things are starting to, to come into focus. And I found it was a, it was a decent theme for this chapter. Yeah, I, I had a hard time coming up with a different one once I saw yours. Because I do think that is such a good theme for this chapter. Is it sets up a lot of questions, doesn't give you a ton of answers. So I went with something that was... It was, I think it's me trying to be funny more so than maybe like the most significant thing in the chapter. But I don't know if you guys have ever seen like super cheesy rom-coms or any satires of super cheesy rom-coms where the main character lives in a big city like Manhattan and they're like, oh, I love this city. It's got so much personality. It's basically like its own character in my story. Well, that's how I feel about Hogwarts Castle. (laughs) Right. I I really like this winner because there's a movie that is, I'm, I'm glad you said rom-com because it is a rom-com, very rom and very calm. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, I have a couple examples to give people if they kind of want to do like, a, what is a good example of a place being a character? Because it's kind of, a, any trope is bad until it's done well. Mm-hmm. Right? Like every story has, like, it's like mystery novels, right? Like who done it novels like it it's it if they're done well it's really satisfying if they're done poorly it, it, you just hate it so all yeah. the tro- all the tropes are bad until they're done really well and then they're good again and you know mm-hmm. the New York example is a good one because <laughs> I would recommend as a non New York example uh, the first season of Outlander is a great example where like they're in Scotland and that's a very good example of like Scotland really is a character in that show and it really grounds it and when you move outside of Scotland it feels off. Like, it just doesn't quite feel mm-hmm. right. And so that's a great example. But my favorite movie that has ever made the setting a, its own character is mm-hmm. the rom-com um, Friends with Benefits with Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, 
not like the way they depict New York is a little bit different than the way they depict New York and like a lot of other movies, but also in, in the way that it influenced the characters, it kind of makes sense. I don't know. It's one of my favorite rom-coms friends with benefits. If you haven't watched it, you absolutely have to. It's fantastic. It's such a good movie. Um, mm. But also it takes the trope of using New York as a, as its own kind of character, but actually kind of excels at it and makes it really cool instead of super lame. And yeah, there's like a whole undercurrent in that movie where they're doing these like kind of drop in flash mob dance parties. And it just yeah. all felt very New York to me. You're like, that's cool. Like they don't overdo it. They just kind of subtly weave it in. And then it all kind of sat- satisfying at the end. I don't know. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's very 2015 thing where flash mobs were happening a lot. Yeah. Isn't that also the one that has like the running like rom-com within a rom-com that's an open satire of the rom-com that they're doing oh possibly i haven't watched it in a while it's i just remember that the movie that they were watching ends with like a fun pop song oh that is the one that is the one right there yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right that's right like i hate when they do that because the movie is such an emotional roller coaster and then it ends with a happy song and you're tricked into thinking you were having fun the whole time that's exactly and then it ends with like soul sister by Trey. yeah that's exactly right that's the movie (laughs) right so if you what we're learning here is if you have not watched friends with benefits you absolutely have to it's fantastic but also great example much like the castle in this chapter of yeah, the, no, it, the setting being a character, but done well. Yeah, it just it has a lot of personality. Like we said earlier, logistically a nightmare, but still really, really fun. All right, that's going to do it for chapter eight. I hope you enjoy. I think that was our kind of loosest analysis yet, but I hope you guys <laughs> listening enjoy, enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you thought over on all the places you can leave reviews, send us emails, tweets, all of those types of things. Let us know who you think won the chapters, whether you think a professor should have been fired uh, in this chapter. And we will see you in the next episode of this podcast with chapter number nine. Rachel and I hope you enjoyed that episode of Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. This podcast was produced, edited, all the things by Bradley Kanekin. Thank you again, Rachel, for hopping on. I don't even know if she's a guest host at this point. At this point, she's just on a roll, chapter after chapter after chapter, absolutely killing it. So many thanks to Rachel again. uh, Feel free to go and leave us a review somewhere, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to this podcast. Make sure other people know about it. I think that's it. That's all, though. Let's not waste any more time. You're already on your commute. You're dreading work. Work, and I hope we've kept you company, but we will be back in your podcast feed shortly for the next episode of this podcast covering chapter number nine. It's about brooms. There's the flying lesson. I can't remember what it's called, but it's coming up next in your feed. See you later.